Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and this is our 2020 wrap-up episode where we discuss our favorite films of the past year. And what a weird year it has been in uh, film watching and theater going. Mackenzie, what was the last movie you saw in theaters? Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, what a good one. Yeah, what a good one. out strong, really. <laughs> It, the, the theater release schedule is like kind of annoying too, mm-hmm. um, especially if you don't live in a major city, mm-hmm. uh, which is like I think both you and I saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire and like Uncut Gems mm-hmm. in 2002. And 2020. Little <laughs> and Little Women. Um, yeah. yeah, which are all films that came out in 2019 that I don't think made it onto our uh 2019 wrap-up list i think i remember us both being like little women we're gonna love it yeah it's got we were like it's gonna be on there but yeah yeah uh so there's definitely some movies that um you know have similarly also been left off of our list this year we were just talking off mic about promising young women young woman um and not being able to see that because it's going to be in theaters um which is crazy the last movie i saw in theaters was the hunt hmm and the I can think I can name like every movie I saw in twenty twenty in theaters. It was The Hunt, Invisible Man, um, Uncut Gems, and Cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun! Uh, the only other movie I remember seeing in theaters was Bird of Birds of Prey. Oh yeah, I remember you seeing that, but I don't remember any other movie. It was a literal lifetime ago. So <laughs> yeah, I know we're different well, people we're- now. We are different people now. We've watched a lot of TV, a lot of TikTok, and uh, most recently, a lot of the best movies of 2020. Yeah. So let's get right into it. We have let's a lot to in. talk about. There are a lot of good movies this year. And when I was yeah. making this final list, I even felt that there were more movies, surprisingly, this year that I loved yeah. than last year. I thought it was more difficult to narrow it down this year. I guess more difficult, but also easier because I did feel real feel feel like a lot of feelings <laughs> about all of these movies. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and I love that because a lot of the the major studios um, withdrew their big blockbusters and expensive movies from mm. the slate that everyone got to pay more attention to smaller films yep. and um, films that probably maybe like wouldn't dominate a conversation. Um, but got to, um, which is really cool. And for that very reason, it's a much more diverse slate than in previous years in terms of directing and writing. Mm, yeah. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So do you want to start, Ken's with your number five pick? Sure. Um, my uh, number five pick is Blow the Man Down, directed by uh, Bridget Savage Cole um, and, and Daniel Crudy, maybe. <laughs> I put two names there, so maybe it was co-directed. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Um, But it's like a a quirky crime story about two sisters in like a coastal town in Maine, I think. Um, Mm. And it has this very like it feels sort of like a Fargo movie um, Mm -hmm. with that type of like quiet crime movie that's sort of funny but you can't like put your finger on it and it's definitely not Mm -hmm. like a laugh out loud. It's just like it is very like a little off. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, and I just love a story about sisters and groups of women in like any capacity. And it is sort of about this, uh, I guess, like a ring lead, the ringleader of like the crime syndicate in town is a woman. And it is about a group of women in power, basically. And but sort of like under the surface and the whole movie is framed by like a chorus of men singing sailor songs which is sort of just this um eerie unique uh adds this eerie unique tone to the whole movie which i really liked um but at at the end it's the women who are all singing sort of they're singing the same song but separately and it's um Mm. just a nice end cap to the whole movie because it keeps that eerie tone but sort of reveals that the kind of like the women are running the show behind the scenes sort of mm-hmm. at least that's what i got from it <laughs> but i i really liked it i thought it was really um like a unique like crime story that was very interesting so that's blow the man down as my fifth movie i love a funny crime movie 
That's awesome. Um, my fifth pick is She Dies Tomorrow, directed and written by Amy Samitz, um, who's also an actress that I think a lot of people would recognize and was recently in the Pet Cemetery remake. Um, this movie stars Caitlin Scheel, uh, who is also pretty recognizable from a few different roles in TV and indie films. And She Dies Tomorrow is about Caitlin Scheel's character waking up, uh, with the certainty that she's going to die the next day. And her, um, fear of, or certainty, uh, that she will die soon is contagious and passed on to everyone that she has contact with. And, um, it's a movie that really gripped me. And I thought that it put a visual on the contagious fear and dread that we have all been feeling this year. Obviously it was made before, um, coronavirus pandemic um kind of swept through the whole world i woke up in the middle of the night worrying (laughs) about she dies tomorrow even though it's not really you know a straightforward horror movie it's more of just this very finely cultivated sense of dread and panic but i also found it funny at times too i think because of the different setups Mm -hmm. of you know a character coming into a room (laughs) and announcing you know that like they're gonna die the next day Mm Um, just lends itself to kind of some silly, um, set pieces and humor. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was, it was really good. Um, and that it made me interested to see Amy's other work. And, um, you know, I think when a movie stays with me and wakes me up in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh, that was a good, that was a good horror yeah. movie. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, so what's your number four? Um, my number four is Emma, and I'm not even going to talk about it. Just listen to our full episode about it. Uh, mm-hmm. We paired it with Clueless, which is just another Emma by Jane Austen retelling. Um, but there's just great kissing. Great kissing, great, great gowns. Yeah. Um, fun. <laughs> love, a, love a fun. I love when people take uh, like romance plots seriously. Same. I love know? romance. Love kissing. But also not with a lot of sentiment, you know, it's just like the good stuff yeah, and the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. It's it, great. If you love Jane Austen, you'll love it. If you love like Pride and Prejudice 2005, you'll love this movie. It's not, it's not as good, but you know, it hits yeah, the same, yeah. like it's a worthy successor. <laughs> yeah. Not as good, yeah. but, but will anything we'll still ever re-watch. be that good? <laughs> I have already rewatched the one kissing scene and I've been like, Ooh, Oh, same. It's so good. It's such great kissing. That's I it's mean, really good kissing. Five, yeah. ten, maybe ten the best stars. kissing on this list. Yeah. Oh, by yeah. far, probably by far. <laughs> Number one in kissing. Yeah, and we did a whole episode about it, so check that out. Mm-hmm. My number four pick, hot off the presses, fresh in my brain and my eyeballs, is First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichert, um, which I think is also on your list, right? Yeah. And Emma was on mine as well. Oops. At oh, number we'll three. We'll probably sc- skip Scott back and forth. <laughs> um, but uh, First Cow um, is the latest of her films. And um, I really enjoyed her other movie, Certain Women, um, which I loved. And Meek's Cut Off. But I just feel like she is kind of like almost like an anti-blockbuster director. Slow filmmaking is kind of at the center of these stories that she chooses. Um, and what I came away with most immediately from first cow enjoying was the sense of texture in the movie, Mm. um, which is set in 1820 in the Oregon frontier. And it follows two men who kind of come together for, like this grift they're going to pull on a wealthy man in the territory who has the first cow. Uh, and yes, I sent all morning singing first cow to the tune of this kiss by <laughs> whatever that woman's name is like first cow, first cow. Well, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Cause she was the first cow. But anyway, I think thanks to a combination of sound design, costuming and cinematography, I felt that you understood each body and, in each environment that they went into in a really naturalistic real way i was like oh like you can tell like the the textures are so soft or like maybe they're damp all the time like because they're just outside and um you know uh all of their structures have a lot of like poor porousness to them so it just was a beautiful film to look at and i feel like um the takeaway i took from it was 
damn capitalism has always been around to wreck friendships and lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, so should I go and talk about First Cow now or should I just go to my number three? Go to your number three and then talk about First Cow and your okay. own. So my third movie is Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Martyr, starring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cooke. Um, but it's a movie that you will like and your parents will like, which I think is a rare. Mm, I, find I totally rare. agree. <laughs> but it's like metal and sweet. And um, so I just Riz Ahmed is such a cutie. He really makes this movie so lovable, I feel like. Uh, yeah. um, and him and Olivia Cook as uh, Ruben and Lou have great chemistry and romance in the they're the central relationship of the movie. Um, and I think it's like a really lovely tale of growth um, through like this really sort of like tra- traumatizing, like huge life change, but not in like a condescending or pitying mm. way, which I think some movies mm. can fall into. Um, but it like treats all of its characters really fairly and um Mm -hmm. it just is cool to see someone grapple with uh the version of themselves that they have in their heads just completely changing and having to like accept that which i think is something that like we all can relate to um but the way that um ruben the character Mm-hmm. grapples with it um is is it in a very it, it's tumultuous but it's also very peaceful so i really appreciated that and about this movie is about also by the way didn't describe what it's about at all um it's a uh heavy ruben is a heavy metal drummer lou his girlfriend is the singer in the band and um he loses his hearing and um it's about the repercussions about what that means for what he can do with his career and his mm. base versus relationship relationship. He's also um, a recovering addict. And so it's about that as well. Um, and it's, it's a really good movie. I love it. I loved it. Um, it was highly recommend. That's why it's my number three. What's your number three? <laughs> um, my number three is Emma. Okay. Uh, so said what I needed to say about Emma, mm-hmm. kissing, kissing, dresses, etc. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, maybe I'll just jump into my number two just because it's also sound of metal. And okay, just yeah. Back off of what you're saying, which is, um, yeah, totally agree. I love a movie that is about men being tender or learning to be tender with one another and themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it also just feels like a very specific story that I haven't seen before. And I think the more specific your story it is, the better it is, like mm-hmm. almost always. Um, and I think it's a movie that also kind of actively works against the terrible trope of, you know, like the inspirational disabled person, mm-hmm. you know, and like yeah. that the disabled person is like almost there for able-bodied people to like learn a lesson from. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, this movie, I also was pleased to see it included the deaf community in um, a lot of the um, different roles uh, throughout the film. And the actor who plays the man who runs the um, the house that Ruben ends up staying in is the child of uh, two deaf people. And he also performs in a band for deaf people, which I thought was really cool. Wow. Oh, that's very cool. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just a really, like a sweet movie. It felt like really good to watch a movie um, about people like learning about themselves and improving themselves. And, and Riz Ahmed is just a wonderful face to watch too. Mm-hmm. And it's also just com- like, it'll everything will be okay. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's nice. There's always communities for everyone. Just- yeah. 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 Um very comforting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but so my number 2 is First Cow, which Bridget already talked about, so I'll just keep it short and sweet. And that's why I love this movie. It's so sweet. Uh <laughs> which is why I love every movie. But they're just sweet. <laughs> um but it's just a really simple story about friendship slash maybe romantic love. Um or, you know, you know, who knows? <laughs> I feel Whatever like you it want to interpret it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and baking. So, of course, I loved it. Um, but 
I went in not knowing anything about it. I hadn't, I haven't seen any other Kelly Reichert movie. Um, so I, and I, but I do know that this is basically everyone's favorite movie of the year. So I was sort of expecting a very like strenuous and serious slash like, like slog of a movie. Mm. But I think that my expectations were sort of shifted as soon as the, the opening scene is, um, Aaliyah Shawkat digging up two skeletons with her bare hands and I was like okay this movie is going to be like maybe a little quirkier than I expected um and I think it I think it was I think it Mm -hmm. um it definitely wasn't hard to watch even though like you said it is like a like a slow filmmaking Mm -hmm. uh movie but it is just so sweet to see like two men loving each other and being sweet themselves like it, it was just more sweet men representation in movies. <laughs> yes. Less That's Jack Ryan's. Yes. More sweet men. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, I guess we're at my number one pick of the year, which felt like when I chose it as my number one pick, I was like, it's maybe truthfully not the best movie of 2020, but it's my favorite movie of 2020, which is just, just what these doing. dumb lists are about. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I read, I read uh, Manola Dargis's review in the New York times, which was very positive, but pointed out one like big flaw. And I was like, Ooh, that's a big flaw. Should it not be my number one? And I was like, nah. Yeah. Um, but it is La Llorona, um, the, not to be confused with the curse of, uh, La Llorona, which is terrible. This is a Guatemalan movie directed by Jairo Bustamante, starring Maria Mercedes Coroy and Sabrina De La Haz. Um, and it is a movie that is about the real horror. I'm sorry. No, the real horror of this movie is, mm-hmm that it's an up-close look at the interior life of a genocidal monster and the realization that in the remainder of this man's comfortable, privileged life, he will never fully reckon with the pain and the terror he has caused. It's mm-hmm. about um, this general in Guatemala who is tried for genocidal crimes and convicted, and then it's about his remaining days and his basically palatial estate where he waits um, to be sentenced uh, accompanied with his wife and his daughter and granddaughter and um, uh, a few maids who live in the home as well. And he begins to be haunted by um, a woman from his past. And I won't really say more about it. Um, just that it was, again, you know, a very specific movie whose strength came from the the right or correct people being in place to tell a story, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I mentioned this on a, when it was one of my favorite things on the podcast, mm-hmm. but when you compare it with the other movie about the, um, the folk horror, uh, tale of La, La Llorona that came out in 2020, the curse of La Llorona, um, which was on HBO and starred Linda Cardinelli. It was just a movie like by white people for other white people, mm-hmm. you know, and this was a movie I think by, um, you know, a, a Guatemalan production team about issues that directly affect um, Latin America and mm-hmm. their, you know, their their own mythology and and um, and folk tales. So, really, really good. I saw that they have entered it to be their um, the Guatemalan pick for the the foreign Oscars, like their their entry okay. for the best foreign feature. So. I hope it wins. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. still need to catch up with it. I wasn't. I didn't watch it because it was on Shutter. I think only. Oh yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is too difficult to find. Figure out yeah. how to stream. Yeah. Um. But I will watch it. Um. Mm-hmm. It was just a mad dash to the finish line, fitting in all these movies at the end of the mm-hmm. year. <laughs> but my number one movie is Minari, which I know I was just talking about how difficult movies are to see. Uh, this is probably the most difficult. I feel like mm-hmm. I was only able to see it because I signed up for like the Lincoln Film Festival screening of it oh, yeah. online. So I almost didn't even put it on here, but because I want movies to be accessible, but it's on so many other people's, and I was like, you know, it's fine. I and I loved it so much, so I'm putting it on here. Hopefully, it's easier to stream very soon because I think it, uh, definitely more people should watch it. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's directed by Lee Isaac Chung, starring Steven Yun and Han Yeri. Um, and it is uh, a largely Korean-speaking movie about a, a Korean-American family that moved from California to, I think, Kansas. 
now it's been a while since I've actually watched the movie, but, um, and, uh, it's the dad's, uh, dream to like build a farm and the wife is sort of like, why did you move us to the middle of Kansas? Um, mm-hmm. And her mother comes to live with them. And they have two children, uh, an older daughter and a younger son. But it's really a like a fam- family drama about being American, basically. But it um, manages to stay very sweet and it has a lot of funny moments too like with the particularly with the grandma and the younger son they have a really funny dynamic um and it's very impressive that it remains so sweet because it is such a tense movie it plants a million things that could go wrong like you're worried the something bad will happen to the older grandma your the younger son has a heart condition you're worried about him and his heart you're worried about the farm like losing all the money you're worried about like the relationship between the wife and husband um you're just like worried about all these terrible things um that could possibly go wrong you're worried about like the this like evangelist yeah i know words i'm smart um like neighbors who are like a little like a lot racist um and it just sort of it plants all these um plot points that could go wrong and inevitably a lot of them do go wrong but at the end you're left with it is a sweet ending like you're left with despite all those and maybe because of those like terrible things Mm -hmm. happening the emotional payoff is a lot greater and you leave the movie feeling very hopeful and optimistic and i think like if that's what i thought if that's a movie of 2020 like (laughs) what what can go wrong will but that it leaves you with like hope and optimism i think is just really like what we need i guess um but it's also just a beautiful movie like uh, everything about it is like perfect honestly um so yeah uh, once hopefully it is easier to stream soon because i think everyone should watch it mm-hmm. yeah i can't wait to see it yeah so i'll just say this and maybe i'll cut it out but um so we wrapped up our one through five really quickly and that's because we wanted to see if we were going to have enough time for our 10 through 6 which we did prepare but weren't sure we were going to have enough time for but we do have enough time and we loved all the movies this year so that's why we we couldn't contain it to just five and i feel like our one through five actually had you know three spots overlap and i think our six our 10 through six is going to be a lot more different yeah I think so. So let's get into it. Yeah. Do you want to kick okay. us off with your number sure. 10? Sure. <laughs> so my number 10 is The Assistant, directed by Kitty Green and starring Julia Garner. It's kind of like a horror movie, not horror movie, about um, a young woman working in what is ostensibly harvey weinstein's office um i don't think they're coy at all about him being the direct inspiration for the movie even though he is never fully seen on screen he's only kind of heard or whispered about or glimpsed um i thought what i really liked about this movie was that it showed a a good example of how people can be directly in the orbit of evil or wrongdoing or abuse and still not fully aware of the extent of what is going on. I think, you know, for instance, when the Harvey Weinstein story was originally broken, it was kind of like an open secret that everyone knew about and everyone made jokes about. But, um, you know, a subordinate like a young woman in an office is not in a position to save anyone else, you know, or, or do anything about it really. And I thought that both Julia Garner and Kitty Green, um, did a really great job of showing that. And a moment that I kept thinking about in the film is after, you know, we, we follow this assistant in a day in her life, kind of almost in real time of the different, you know, petty injustices and Mm. emotional abuse and all the other terrible things that are inflicted on her by her work and by her boss. And, 
um, we see her, you know, the, the boss yells at her on the phone and then we see her, uh, send an email apologizing to him. And mm-hmm. then she gets an email back almost immediately where he's like, I'm sorry, you're great. Like I'm rough on you because I know you, you can be even better. Right. And you see like that light in her eyes where you're like, no, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not worth it for that yeah. scrap that you're getting, but we've all been there, I think, especially, yeah. um, in an office setting before. Uh, yeah, really liked it. Really creepy and dready, dreadful. And I liked how restrained it was also and in, in what it showed and didn't show. Mm-hmm. What's your number 10, Kins? Mine is uh, Beyond the Visible, which is a documentary documentary about Hilma Alf Klimt. Uh, and I just love movies about art and artists mm-hmm. and writing and writers. Um, but this one is especially like wild because... This artist, Helma F. Clint, invented abstract art years before Kandinsky, but no one knew about it. Um, and it essentially means that like abstract art history has to basically be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love just her art and that she was so her she was so into like science and art and like seances and ghosts and stuff and how and those all those three things like heavily influenced her art. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very cool and very kind of on brand for, at least from what I understand, <laughs> I don't know anything about art. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Uh, to be like popular right now, which is like mixing. I think I think people get excited about like science and art mixing now more than ever, I think. Um, so it, it feels very like she was like even ahead of the time now like in terms of what the art she was making like yeah you know um and it's also i think the fact that she was into like seances and stuff is like a big fuck you to people that are like she because i think she was also into like astrology and stuff so i think that it's like a fuck you to people that are like astrology and science but it's like you can like both things like mm-hmm. it's not that serious <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so I just thought she seemed really cool. So great documentary. I probably will watch again too, because it's just so interesting to see about mm-hmm. her life and everything like that. Do you, where was it streaming? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Amazon. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. okay. Very cool. Um, my number nine pick is time directed by Garrett Bradley, which is the story of Fox rich whose husband is, um, has been in jail for or in prison for 20 years for a crime he committed as a young man. Um, his first offense and his entire sentence is, um, 60 years, which is just so unthinkably cruel. And, um, time is a combination of footage shot by Garrett Bradley and this kind of archive of home videotapes taken by Fox Rich of her six sons growing up without a father. And both um, Time and another pick on my list, Johnson is Dead, I think do a really good job of showing how entangled film and memory are, you know, and that the the perfect medium to tell both of the stories in Time and in Dick Johnson is Dead is film for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. not writing, not... Um, you know, uh, drawing, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the, the, the medium of film mm-hmm. is important to, um, showing the passage of time and these people's lives and the toll it takes, but mm-hmm. a really beautiful film. Um, and an important one to mm-hmm. watch, I think. Another documentary I watched this year, it's not in my top 10, but it's called rewind and it's about, it has like similar vibes in terms of like mm-hmm. what you're saying about memory and film. It's about a, man that makes a documentary about his childhood abuse using a lot of his dad's uh like home footage but Mm -hmm. um and it was a really good documentary it's very hard to watch it's very disturbing but um yeah i think that is like a big uh recurring theme this year it seems like for documentaries Mm -hmm. which is probably true of most documentaries but Mm mm-hmm uh, my number nine is the forty-year-old version um, by Rada Blank. I think it's a de- debut by. Uh, I think she was a comedian and now is like yeah. getting more into film and stuff. But it's um, created by Rada, and she stars as herself, sort of in it. Um, and it's very funny, obviously coming from a comedian. Um, and 
even though Rada is like a super flawed character and she fucks up a lot, um, you always are rooting for her. And, you know, ultimately she goes through a lot of self-discovery and in the end, like, stands up for herself. And this movie is mm. about, once again, me fucking up not telling people what the movie is about. Um, but it's about a woman who wants to be a playwright but is sort of, like, painted as washed up, kind of. She's teaching high school, I think, uh, drama and... uh is sort of looked down upon by a bunch of people in like New York theater. And um, I heard on pop culture happy hour when they were talking about it, that it was like a pretty accurate depiction of that Mm -hmm. world, which like, I wouldn't know they would know, (laughs) but, um, and she is sort of trying to, she discovers this like kind of love for rapping um, as a way to like process her emotions and stuff and it's about her not so, kind of like embracing that side of her even mm-hmm. though it was totally unexpected and not what she envisioned for herself um so again it was same with sound of metal good to see someone kind of struggle with and then reconcile with like becoming a different person um mm-hmm. than they originally planned i think mm-hmm. um so that's my number nine what about you? That's, a, that's beautifully put, Mackenzie. Oh, wow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, my number eight is Dick Johnson is Dead, which I think I talked about a little bit on the podcast before. It's directed by Kristen Johnson, and it's a documentary about um, a daughter dealing with the diagnosis of her father's um, dementia. And it's really a movie about coming to terms with, coming to terms with death and that your loved ones will die. Um, and that, you know... Like I mentioned when talking about time, that even the process of documenting their time here will not slow time down. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Dick Johnson and Kristen, his daughter, make all these different like skits in which they envision different ways in which Dick could die. And they're, they're very funny and like silly, but also, you know, kind of turn your stomach too. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was just, I think... Um, a movie that really touched me watching while far away from family and from kind of all the like ambient stress that we've all dealt with for almost a year thinking about like, you know, like death and dying. Um, but a sweet movie still, and one that will remind you to, you know, like reach out to the people you love. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're the one who put it beautifully. Oh, just a compliment circle here. <laughs> um, my number eight is Sella and the Spades, directed by Tyresha Poe. Um, and it's about a, it's like a high school crime drama um, centered around this girl named Sella. There are five like crime factions in the high school and the spades are the drug dealers um and then there's like the people in charge of parties uh the people in charge of like running bets on sports games that type of thing um and it is very stylish and i think very like like well written um too it has i think it has very strong brick vibes like brick by mm-hmm. ryan johnson um which we've talked about on the podcast before mm-hmm. um so it has that sort of like dialogue like very quick witted dialogue that seems almost like too grown up and too old-fashioned to be coming from high schoolers but just also creates this really like um fun dynamic mm-hmm. i think um and I think it's a it's a it's a debut feature film um, yeah. from Poe, and she's from Philly. She's a Philly filmmaker, mm-hmm. so very I'm very excited to see what she does next. I think this was a very like fun and rewatchable movie because it is so, um, like it is like a crime drama. So love mm-hmm. that, very fun. It's like a high school movie. Love that, very fun. Um, <laughs> but it's also. To, to read, like, all the sort of different choices about, like, coloring the film and um, things like that, it's it's just a very smart uh, depiction of Sela and 
the sort of because she is still even though I was saying like it seems too grown up to be about high schoolers or something like that um I think it's and she is like grappling with growing up uh Mm -hmm. and I think it's a very like smart um uh combination of the two things like this crime drama and a coming of age story so um that's my number eight very nice um my number seven is never rarely sometimes always directed by eliza hitman stars sydney flanagan and talia Ryder. um this is a movie about a young a girl in central pennsylvania who is pregnant and does not want to be pregnant and um is unable to tell her parents so she and her cousin who both work at um they both work at a grocery store steal some money to buy their way onto a a bus to new york city where she can get an abortion um because in new york they do not require parental consent for an abortion which is um insane that they do in pennsylvania and other Mm -hmm. states um i this was a hard movie to watch and um I think especially because Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder were such um, unselfconscious performers and really reminded me of girls that I know and grew up with, you know, especially yeah. in like rural New Jersey next to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like know and are familiar with these choices that mm-hmm. um, young women make and are forced to make. Um, and the movie to me, and the relationship between these two cousins as they kind of float around New York waiting for um, the main character's abortion appointment is that, like, ultimately you can't protect the other women that you love in your life, no matter mm-hmm. how hard you try. Like, we're all kind of out there, um, you know, as individuals navigating a system that is unfair, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and there's not really much that can be done to protect the people you love yeah. uh you know this is a spoiler but there's a scene where the cousin is kind of put in this uncomfortable situation of feeling like she owes something to this boy that's been taking interest in her who eventually agrees to um buy tickets for them back home and so she is kind of half-heartedly letting him kiss her and her cousin comes around the corner and holds her hand uh you know he can't see that but mm-hmm. she is um holding her cousin's hand while she is getting kissed by this boy. But yeah, really enjoyed it. And I'd love to check out Eliza Hitman's other movies. Yeah. I think that like, it's like, it does this like really smart, understated mm-hmm. way of showing that like women have this quiet understanding that just like the world yeah. is a little different for mm-hmm. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's like cathartic to see like um, on screen, I think, but also very mm-hmm. like heartbreaking and difficult to yeah, watch. Definitely. Um, but my number seven is the horror movie, his house, um, directed by mm-hmm. Remy weeks. And, um, it, I feel like horror movies just in general are like such a good, uh, I, okay. I, I, once again, what is this movie about? <sighs> Um, this is a story about um, two refugees that uh, come to England and are placed in this like home, but the house is haunted. And mm-hmm. um, so that's, I guess that's long story short. But uh, I guess, so horror movies, I think in general, are just like a great way uh, to project like real human like suffering, like things that we all sort of deal with in this like, but projecting it into this like supernatural uh Mm -hmm. terrifying story um Mm -hmm. and in this case i felt like this did it really well kind of reminded me of like the babadook in Mm. in some ways um but sometimes i thought towards the end it was like almost too on the nose about like the actual like horror or the like curse that was mm-hmm. uh following this couple was like about be it being like actually like trauma um mm-hmm. and them not being able to escape their trauma but i it still worked for me and i still thought it was like it had a lot of like fun horror tropes with like ghosts and things in walls and 
um, just like also just like gross monsters, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which so I loved all of that. But it also like in the same in in the same movie could deal with like this terrible terrible trauma of like mm-hmm. fleeing their country and all, every single person they knew being mm-hmm. uh, slaughtered. Um, and it, so it did a really good job, I think, of combining those two things, which is obviously very hard to do. So, yeah, I thought also just a really great two performances in the center of that movie as well. Um, yeah. they really felt like a real couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of like baked in like understanding between them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. By one me, Masaku and Shopei Dorisu. And kind of has a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, sort of. (laughs) Yeah. Um, My final film, my number six film, is The Vast of Night, directed by Anderson Patterson and starring Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. I think I watched this in May, right before my birthday. Um, It reminded me of early David Fincher with a great sense of atmosphere and restraint. Um, Also probably because it did such a good job of setting its film in the 1950s, which I think Fincher did well in um, Zodiac. Very similar. But it's about a town in New Mexico that is visited by aliens on the night of the big basketball game. And that setup is kind of contrived so that two radio geeks are left alone in the town to investigate. And I think it's just, it's a movie that benefits from being dialogue driven and Mm -hmm. being very slow about its reveals and very purposeful. There is a scene that happens in a car um, that is so well plotted and really like ramps up the tension that has been felt throughout the film in such a satisfying way that it really like felt very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't love the ending, but really enjoyed this movie. And also like given that Andrew Patterson, whoever he is, is like a young Fincher. He will probably like direct the next Star Wars movie or whatever. Like this is his <laughs> debut, but I'm sure he'll be like signed up to do like a huge franchise next. <laughs> oh, you're you right. Because yeah. it does have, it does because you're right that it has like very like slow moments and slow reveals, mm-hmm. but it does seem so fast paced the whole time because yeah. of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that would translate really well into act- into like something like a bigger action movie, probably. I'm sure that's what he's got coming for him, and you know, which yeah. is like honestly making this list. I was like, oh, so many women and people of color, and then I was like, then this one movie by a man named Andrew Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. it was good. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. My sixth movie is I'm Your Woman by Julia Hart. And it's another movie that I think like I enjoyed, but also my parents would probably really like. Um, Mm. But it's a really exciting like thriller slash crime drama, but it also has like strong themes about being a mom and a wife and about like choosing your family. Um, And it's just yeah. a it's a, it's a really strong movie. I mean, it's like it does all the things it's wanting to do very well. Rachel Brosnahan is the star's Jean, mm-hmm. um, who is the same person. I can't be convinced otherwise as Rachel Evan Wood, no, or Evan yeah. Rachel Wood, or whatever. <laughs> they are the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Rinze, Kenny, and Marcia Stephanie Blake uh, co-star as this couple that sort of has basically has ties to her. they end up like it's be spoiler they're like pretty much family um mm. uh but they kind of take her under their wing but they end up needing each other in the end all of them um but it's just it is a nice story about family i think um as well as being like an exciting and unique like crime drama yeah because it's about like the wife and not the man. Yeah. And you know, Julia Hart, I have enjoyed every Julia Hart movie I've seen now. You know? What other movies has she done? Um uh Fast Color. Oh, oh wow. I didn't realize so, that. Yeah. So I oh feel like God. she in in the similar way to Fast Color, like kind of took a genre and like turned it yeah. a little bit to look at it from a different angle in a really fun way. That's awesome. Uh, so excited to see what else she does. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, cool. So it's just, I feel like it's just getting better. Yeah, it's definitely. So <laughs> Uh, Mackenzie, do you want to go through any honorable mentions really quickly? There, I mean, there are so many good movies this year, so it was hard, definitely hard to like narrow it down. But some of the other movies I really enjoyed, um, one was Ham on Rye, which was this sort of like um, ambiguous uh, decade <laughs> set in this ambiguous decade and about a very strange like coming of age ritual that possibly had to do with aliens but possibly had to do with nothing it was totally normal and everything was okay so like who knows really it's so weird but it was also like like a million art ho tiktok string together and for that i respect it it was very aesthetic um also i'll die on this hill cuties loved it um i think it was just it's such a like real representation of what young girls are like growing up and what like it like we're exposed to and just you know try forced to be forced we're forced into like sexuality way younger than we should be um and Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the obviously it's not the young girl's fault it is like just just videos were being like fed and shit anyway love cuties um Another movie is Lingua Franca, uh, about a a trans-Filipino immigrant who um, is working as a caretaker and trying to save up enough money, basically, to, like, pay someone to marry her and get her green card. Um, But she sort of has an affair with the son of the person that she's... A caretaker for and i think it's just it's a really unique story that i haven't seen anywhere mm-hmm. before and the performances are really great and it's it's very it's just very it's also just really interesting to see mm-hmm. um and then uh disclosure which we've talked about on the podcast before is a documentary that came out this year that i loved about um trans representation throughout yes, hollywood disclosure yeah. such a good documentary um possessor was a sci-fi like crime thriller that was too sad and not sweet at all so obviously it didn't Boo. make my top 10 but it was an interesting like sci-fi movie it's about a um assassin that is basically like the way that she assassinates is by like taking over someone's body and then making them either kill themselves or usually kill the other person that they need Mm -hmm. to assassinate and then kill themselves. Um, And it was just, I thought it was interesting the way that um, it depicted the lines blurring between her and someone else Mm -hmm. else's mind. And also the way that she was struggling with basically work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) and it's by um david cronenberg's son yeah it's fucking gross dude it's like a gross like which you know i like so uh and i did like appreciate like like some of the um way that it depicts like their minds blurring is just like and her sort of losing herself is just like her face basically melting off there's a lot of melting imagery, mm, okay. and I liked it. I liked that Classic. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The final honorable mention is The Artist and the Thief, which is a documentary about an artist whose um, two biggest paintings are stolen, and she develops a relationship uh, that with the thief, and it informs like almost all of her work moving forward. But it's also this sort of... like toxic relationship in some ways Mm. but also in almost seems inevitable and like they wouldn't be able to like survive or thrive without each other Mm -hmm. um but very interesting and again i love movies about artists because i'm like oh my art (laughs) like i can do i can make art (laughs) yes you can and do Uh, so what about you what are yours um my honorable mentions, I would specifically like to shout out Betty Gilpin's performance in The Hunt, which mm-hmm. is not a good movie and definitely thinks it's a lot smarter and cleverer than it actually is. But Betty, Betty Gilpin is worth watching it for. Mm-hmm. She's so amazing in it. She's like, let's please give her like a, like a Charlie's Theron-esque mm-hmm. role in an action movie. Yes. Every 
Betty Gilpin's facial expressions are like jazz. Like you're just like, what's going to happen next? Like what face is she going to make next? I have no idea. Love her. Um, the Invisible Man, which we covered in, I think, January, February. No, no, Who no, knows? no. It was like pandemic. March. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we did. March, yeah. maybe. Um, yes, God, yes, which is about a young Catholic school girl who is discovering her body and sexuality and kind of a fun performance from that girl in Stranger Things, Natalia Dyer. Natalia um, Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Who I was like, okay, she's doing the same performance, but you know, it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm ashamed to put this on here, but I can't deny that I enjoyed the trial of the Chicago seven and learned about history that I didn't know before. Aaron Sorkin really is like such a love hate relationship with him because on one hand I am a recovering theater kid. And, uh, on the other hand, like he writes women so terribly and I was kind of relieved at first to be like, okay, there are no women characters in this movie for him to fuck up. But then there's a scene where, (laughs) This, like, secretary for one of the lawyers in the movie, like, picks up the phone and starts talking about how much she loves black men's um, penises. And you're just like, why on fucking earth did he put this (laughs) line of dialogue in here? Yeah. Anyway. um, Relic, a horror movie that came out that had big Taking of Deborah Logan vibes, but in my opinion, not as good as taking of Deborah Logan. Hmm. Um, Crip Camp, which is on Netflix, a documentary about a camp for disabled people. I'm Your Woman, which Mackenzie covered. His House, which Mackenzie covered. And also Eurovision, which is not a good movie, but it's fun and silly and has Will Ferrell and Dan Stevens and Rachel McAdams in it. And we need more. We needed more fun, silly movies this year. Um, Hmm. But yeah, that's it. That's it. (laughs) This movie full of this movie this year this year was full of great movies yeah it was i'm so interested to see how award season shakes out probably it'll get it all wrong even though oh yeah there's so many women and other directors to choose from it's honestly it's sort of like how could they get it wrong since all of the movies that we love so much were not that yeah but but they'll find it some way they'll they'll, 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 like pull out mank and we'll be like yeah yeah mank will win (laughs) Mank will win the Ben Affleck movie where he's an alcoholic coach will win. Oh, the Tom Hanks one with the Cowboys, right? Yeah. Or something. Yep, Midnight yep, Sky. Yep. Midnight Sky. <laughs> God damn it. Yep. All the ones we didn't watch. <laughs> oh, it's been a year. Um, but it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickLicksPod and email us at ChickLicksPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on January 13th, and we don't know what it will be yet, but we'll surprise you. It's a surprise. Just like we do every wrap-up year, I think we surprise yeah, you. Yeah, we're clean slate. Um, ChickFlix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Grieve Carlson for our music, and thank you for listening to ChickFlix in 2020. <laughs> Bye. Oh, yeah, it's 2020. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, bye. <laughs>